Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film Podcast. My apologies for the fact that I sound like I've got a head full of hay fever, but I've got a head full of hay fever. Luckily, um, hay fever isn't contagious. And anyway, I'm not in the same room as our guest, which is uh, Jack Howard. Jack, Hello, welcome sir. again through the miracle of Zoom. Why are you wearing a baseball cap? Because I've been swimming today and my hair would be incredible without it. And I don't want to distract from the subject that we're talking about. It, it would just be huge and out of control. You don't think that wearing a baseball cap isn't distracting? I think There's it, a brilliant do, do you bit not, in the novel of... Do you not think it looks good on me? I think I, it's, I've got a little bit of a director look. I think it suits me. Okay, firstly, Jack... I must admit, I do like it for that reason. I didn't say anything about it not looking good. I think that's that's just, that's the, that's your inner paranoia speaking. Secondly, it reminds me, there's a lovely scene in the novel of Legion, which um, people may not have read, in which Kinderman is talking to, is it Ryan? And Ryan comes in wearing a hat and he, he's, and Kinderman makes a thing about, about he says, what are you doing? Are you auditioning for Moby Dick or something? And Ryan <laughs> takes the hat off and then Kinderman says, yeah, the crew cut is worse. Put the hat back on again. <laughs> but <laughs> my, just, my dad um, has always made, um, one of my best friends growing up uh, is Gingerhead. Yeah. Um, and my dad always always is like if you could, if they're coming over to the house they've got to put hats on i don't want i don't want the neighbors seeing that we've got gingers coming around the house <laughs> you've got to put a hat on <laughs> racist <laughs> gingist yeah so anyway okay well so yes you are speaking to us with your steven spielberg hat on now in a way this Thank is you. strangely appropriate because you're in your bedroom uh, and all mic'd up i'm in my uh, cupboard under the stairs and all mic'd up and this week we're going to talk about bo burnham's netflix special inside which was Oddly enough, somebody had raised the, the, the question of, are you going to review this as a movie? Because it's like an hour and 20, so it's technically a feature-length mm. thing. Um, and this came up because you said, look, we must talk about Inside. So I've now yep. seen it. I know that you have a lot to say about it. And I'm going to allow you to start. Um, okay. Well, what an honor. Off you go. Okay. So for those of you who don't know Bo Burnham's work... He started, he was one of the first generation YouTube people. I think there's a lot of people now, even to this day, who are making stuff or beginning to make stuff that even if they don't know that they're inspired by Bo Burnham, I think he basically was a creator of, or like at least a leader in, in the generation of influencers that you'd call them now. He started out just putting up songs up that he would do in his bedroom um, when he was like 16 years old and he had roaring success very very quickly he worked very hard did a lot of um, live shows in like the Edinburgh Fringe he toured them around I 
went to go see Bo Burnham when I was, oh, it was 2009, I think. I got my dad, I like dragged my dad to Sheffield. Wow. I'm from Nottingham. I got him to take me to this Bo Burnham performance before he was like, you know, outside of internet world famous. Yeah. And it was like a tiny little space with a stage that was, you know, no higher than your knees tiny little living room space with like 20 people there my dad must have been like what is this like because he did like a lot of the stuff that's quite surreal that he does later when he's refined it um but in a room full of 20 people it, it can read quite weird when he's miming to be a t-rex what was your introduction to bo burnham well, when did you discover who he was mark well have a guess at how i discovered bo burnham jack i assume eighth grade no, no, way before that, Gabriel, my son. Okay. You know, who's. All right, well, there of, we go. So that was it. He was constantly watching and listening to Bo Burnham. And I did the typical dad thing. Hello, child, what is that interesting thing that you're watching? And then, of course, the next thing you go, oh, actually, this is really interesting. And so I mm. knew Bo Burnham stuff from, from that. And then, of course, uh, you know, Eighth Grade, which was such a stunningly brilliant piece of work and one of my favorite films of that year. And, of course, as we keep saying, one of Obama's favorite films of that year. Um, I think one of the best portrayals of coming of age and the difficulties of being, um, you know, of growing up in the age of the internet. And then, of course, people will recently yep. have seen Bo Burnham, who plays a key role in Promising Young Woman, which was, you know, a big Oscar celebrate. But so, yes, so now, as you say, you know, famous outside of the internet, but I knew about him because he was famous to my son. and Which, which is, is why you know about which me. Which is why I know about you. <laughs> this whole thing is going very, very cyclical. That's right. If I, if you know, if I if I didn't have a, a smart kid, I would never know about any of this stuff. So I'm, I'm just saying that to credit it because that's, that's yeah. how I found out about it. Okay, so. Well, I owe your son so much. Like, this is the reason why we have this show together. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, that you've, you basically filled in the rest of Bo Burnham's journey there. And now, um, I think kind of quietly, he decided to quit performing and he reveals why in uh, the new special Inside. Can we talk about that? Can we say? Uh, why yeah, I, was... I think so. Let's. I mean, let's just say, like, if you haven't seen Inside, I would consider like this a spoiler, com- completely like spoiler-filled discussion. So definitely go and watch Inside and then come back to this because I don't want to spoil anything from it because it's such a unique first experience, like in terms of how he plays with form and what he's. I don't know. Just like the presentation of it is so unlike anything else i've ever seen it's such a combination of different art forms that i just can't recommend it on just the on that alone just go and have a good first experience and then let's have a chat yeah. about all of that stuff so it's so, on yeah. netflix and, and we'll now talk as if you know assuming that, uh, that that people do have some awareness of it that he he says that what happens is he essentially got stage fright that he he, he was having panic attacks yeah which I, which yeah, I, like, I have to he say. said he was having severe panic attacks on stage and he's talked about this before in interviews where he said like oh I just power through them and because my my stage show is like scripted to the word it's almost like he comes out of himself and is able to just like carry on with muscle memory but inside his brain he's been freaking out and he said yeah. he had like nine out of the ten panic attacks that he's had at least this was the last time he spoke about it he had nine of them on stage which yeah. is just as he says in the show, not a great place to have them. You want to hear a funny story? So, uh, five years ago, I quit performing live comedy because I was beginning to have uh, severe panic attacks while on stage, which is not a great place to have them. 
So I, I quit. And I didn't perform for five years. I spent that time trying to improve myself mentally. And you know what? I did. I got better. I got so much better, in fact, that in January of 2020, I thought, you know what? I should start performing again. come back to that because I have a particular experience of that as well but just again so to set oh, really it, we'll come back to it so to set this up so this is the first uh, of these shows that he's done you know for a while so tell us what basically give us a description of it Jack what is it it is um Bo Burnham creating writing directing editing singing and dancing uh, an hour and a half special from the inside of his room in one room, he uses that as the stage and does everything himself. He's basically cr- created this whole thing from nothing on his own within the last year during the pandemic. And so, obviously, a lot of the themes are very relevant to everybody right now. Um, what did you think, Mark? What were your well, initial well, hang thoughts? Well, let's, let's finish this. Oh, sorry, am I rushing ahead? No, no, it's fine. I just think so. Essentially, it is, a, it is a show presented without a live audience from, you say room, we sort of discover at the end, but it might be a hut, but it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an enclosed space. You know what's interesting as well is that that hut, that little um, apartment space that he's performing from is at the end of his last live show and it's revealed that it is essentially, like he go, his house is clearly just along the path and yeah. this is like his little studio in his garden yeah but yeah he fully makes you believe that he lives there that yeah that he's in there and um it the the, the it appears to be shot over a lengthy period because the length of his hair the length of his beard the state of his face the state of his everything changes and you get the impression that what you are watching and i say get the impression because i you know i'm taking this on good faith mm-hmm. that what you are watching is something that's been created over a period of about a year of somebody either unspooling or generating creative energy from the experience of having been shut inside for a year. And the subjects that he addresses are variously the subject of isolation, the subject of people constantly being online. There is a song about sexting. There is a... There's a thing about performative activism. Performative activism. There's a... a, I have to say, the thing that really, really struck me, there is a a thing in which he does a routine and then he films himself commenting on the routine and then he ends up filming himself, filming himself, filming himself, commenting on the routine, which is kind of like a Twilight Zone sort of... It's amazing. A lot of it is about the way in which um the the sort of isolating effect of recording and internet and youtube and everything has been magnified by the pandemic that mm-hmm. idea that you are talking into an echo room but you might well be talking to yourself there are a couple of moments in which he plays uh songs and he very specifically reaches out to touch 
the laughter button. So he gives himself a ripple of laughter because there isn't an audience there with him. So to it's describe- also like the way that he shoots it a lot of the time. This isn't like a strict rule, but the door and the air conditioner wall seems to be the stage. And then whenever the camera faces the other way, it's a little bit like you're seeing a behind the scenes element to it. And there's... Uh, throughout it feels like you're seeing art and artist simultaneously so it kind of feels like you're watching the final product and him making it simultaneously yes and he talks constantly about i haven't finished this yet i'm not going to finish it because i you know i i don't don't want it to stop there is a moment in which he appears to break down and cry although that seems to me to be a performative moment and one of the things that that the that the the whole show raises all the way through is is what you're watching a performance? Mm-hmm. Is it real? It, you know how much how much of this do we trust? Which is why I say it seems as though it's being filmed over the, the space of a. And well, you know, he even announces, that, and obviously he could be lying, but I, I think that there's, there's a, this is where, kind of what's interesting about it, like where the line blurs between uh, fiction and reality, and does it matter? Does it make it less honest? Less honest if it is a performance of that's coming from somewhere honest, yeah. but. Okay. Yeah, like uh, there's there's a moment, for example, when he gets into a, an unfolded bed, um, and when I was watching it with somebody who said, "Oh, Bo," like that, as if he was really doing that, and then he switches on the spotlight, and that whole time it makes me feel like something that he always does in his shows, which he's telling you, "This is not real. You are watching a performance. You, are, I'm lying to you." And he he said that on many occasions um, throughout his uh, yeah. performance uh, on stage. Yeah. So. Again, I stress that thing about whatever it seems it is, whether it actually is or is you know isn't really the point. So, um, so firstly, you are com- you are very very impressed by it. Yes, you you. It- oh, I'm enamoured. So I watched me- it the first time. Tell me what you love. Was- well, so much of it. I mean, first of all, let's go to the basic stuff, which is the songs are all absolute bangers. Every single one slaps for different reasons. He starts the show making quite almost that feel on the surface like parody internet songs so you've got a song about um sexting and white woman's instagram and things like that that feel like quite surface level jokes even though they're not there's definitely stuff going on underneath the surface and then as he goes on the the songs kind of intentionally or not depending on how he felt when he was making them kind of stop needing to be funny um and feeling feeling like he's just creating beautiful songs there's there's a an amazing song called that funny feeling which i think has become a bit of a fan favorite quite quickly where it, it feels like a bob dylan song or something it this feels... is where he sits and he sits and plays guitar he says at the yeah. beginning i can't play the guitar and i can't sing or, or sing and then, he, yeah. and then he sits and plays the guitar and, and plays and... one of the most beautiful songs i've heard in the past few years so okay so this is kind of leading slightly towards... You see, I have to be honest about this. I'm less certain about this than you are. Um, so, let me. can I just... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, on. but no, I just want to say, on. the first time I watched it, I was like, that was obviously great. That was obviously great. And it kind of fits in with what we've been talking about recently, the idea of the ghost stories and also timey-wimey stuff. Because as we've been talking about anyway, this past year has felt a bit like a big Groundhog Day. Yeah, no kidding. This This show has that effect and there's a benefit to the rewatching of it there's something about and i've seen this has been has been an effect in general that people have watched it and gone yeah that was obviously great very good very talented and then you watch it again and go oh no no this is 
a masterpiece. And I, fe- I, how I feel about it is that it feels like a once in a lifetime opportunity of a masterpiece. Like this could never have been made previously for many reasons because of where Bo Burnham comes from in his roots, the time of year, the obviously the pandemic that's happened. But for me, this whole show feels like something he was bursting to to talk about and the the lockdown situation has just been the perfect way to allow an audience on a mass scale to understand him or to be able to interpret what he wants to talk about which i think is his struggle with the creative process and i think that room is real for him every single time he wants to make something and there's a lyric where he says um look who went outside look who went out looking for a reason to hide again look who's back inside again and that to me feels like the experience that he has where he'll go and live a bit of life for a bit and then he'll use what he's found when he's been living and put that into the art that he wants to make but he always ends up going back into this room and for him that's a, a constant thing but this time he's managed to sort of show that to people um and we make make sense of it, even if you're not a creative person, you make sense of it because we've all been locked in our rooms, literally. But yeah, I feel like that for him is real every single time he wants to make something. Okay. So, Went off on a bit of a tangent there. I'm no, going to shut up for not, a bit not a ta- <laughs> let you say what you think. Not a tangent at all. And I'm, I'll be honest, I don't entirely know what I think. I've only seen it once. My problem is this firstly i mean i I said i've been a fan of bo burnham's before both of his you know comedy on the internet but as as a film director and as an actor and i was doing the observer thing about you know choose your oscars i thought he should have been nominated for a supporting actor oscar for promising young woman because actually the role that he plays in that film is the pivotal if you don't buy into that role Mm. the whole of the you know the the kind of central reveal of the film doesn't work and what an excellent piece of meta casting as well well, an excellent piece of meta casting yeah like bo burnham so much exactly (laughs) and that's a smart move so here's what i here's what i worry about firstly um i worry about the uh here I am ha- having a hard time. I mean, at the very big, one of the things that he does is he think, he does a lot of stuff about, you know, a white privileged person, you know, why do we need to hear that voice again? And he does, he does songs saying, you know, why do we need to hear that voice again? The whole point about it being, you're hearing that voice again, asking that question, fine. And then there's white woman's Instagram, which actually I thought was kind of the laziest of all the, the songs, which just seemed to be a kind of collection of slightly wry, but also you know, observation about, you know, a white woman's Instagram feed, which is like, yeah, okay, I'm not sure whether that's a high enough target. I don't think for one minute that it's, uh, that it's, there aren't things in it that are smart and clever, but I just think it's, it's kind of fairly low hanging fruit for him. The second thing is, one of the things that, that started to get on my nerves was the kind of constant vacillating between on the one hand you know i'm doing a kind of confessional look at me this is the inside of me and i'm you know and on the other hand that kind of that arch smile that he does so one of the things that bo burnham does is he delivers songs with this kind of arch cheesy theatrical smile which at one point incidentally he holds on camera for far too long so it becomes uncomfortable so that you're looking at it so part of what he's doing is i'm doing an act about doing an act and you know i'm doing a meta text about doing a meta text which is fine up to a point but there is a point that 
part of me starts to think, okay, I, is this just indulgent? And the two things that would have stopped me thinking that are firstly, if I was laughing more, which I wasn't. Um, so I did laugh considerably less at this than I have done at some of his other work. I mean, you know, the, the argument will be, well, it's because it's less funny because it's deeper. And the other thing is the feeling of the, the, the performative inner outer life thing only is only engaging in so much as what you think you're learning is something new. And I ended up thinking, you know, the bit when he's sitting on a chair and he looks up at the glitter ball with the torch. That's a great, yes. that's a great moment. What and an amazing I, opener. What an amazing opener. But the problem is I'm looking at it thinking, wow, that's a really, that's a clever, that's a really technically clever idea, not something else. And I don't know whether I kept thinking this just, this feels indulgent and it feels like it's forgiving itself for its indulgence by being aware of its indulgence. And it ended up, and this is, I am playing devil's advocate here because Mm. I think it's probably better than this, but it ended up feeling to me like the person at the party who talks about themselves for half an hour and constantly makes jokes about the fact that they're talking about themselves but still carry on talking about themselves. And it reminds me of that line about enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? (laughs) You know, it's, I, it started to great and that bothered me, Jack. And it bothered me because I thought, I know that there's more going on here than this. And it may be a generational thing. It may be, yeah, it, 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 it may well be. I thought the sexting thing was like kind of, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't look. I'm nearly sixty, so I have never. I se- don't sext. No, I've never done it. I, 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 so I, I guess all of those jokes just. Whoosh. No, I got them. The thing is that I got them because they're kind of fairly low hanging fruit. I mean, it's again, it's like if I understand a song about it. I mean, the gags are kind of self explanatory. You sort of understand what it is, but I don't know that. I don't know that saying sexting is weird is particularly. I mean, of course it's weird, you know, and and next. And I thought that the bit that really bothered me was the bit when he appeared to break down in tears because it was like, a, it's a trick. It's a like, okay, am I supposed to now feel sorry because you're crying or am I supposed to feel suckered because you're acting crying, which you may well be because the whole thing is a conceit. And it just, it started to annoy me. And actually talking about it, it, I'm, it is, it, I'm liking it less. And I think, therefore, that... Firstly, I should see it again, probably, because I do think that he's really talented and I think he's done some really smart work in the past. But I just... Does any of this make any sense to you? I started to really so, feel like, it, like there was a level of indulgence in it that I didn't want to indulge in. Do you know what, what's interesting is that my first response to that is that he knows it's indulgent and he's constantly talking about how this is indulgent, but he wants to do it anyway. Yes. And he also in the special says being uh, self-aware doesn't absolve anybody of anything. So I think what you're talking about, he's painfully aware of to the point of all I want to do is write songs and make music and tell jokes about this sort of stuff. But I also like know that it's just me being like, Oh, look at me. Cause he even says that in the opening thing. Like I can only do this. I can only do this while getting paid and being the center of attention. Yes. 
So I think that... And the thing about, I mean, I'm making comedy to save the world. And, yes. you know, and I have to find a way of doing it that enables me to get paid and still make it all about me. But that's exactly what I mean about the thing about the person talking about themselves and constantly saying they're talking about themselves, but still talking yeah. about themselves. Totally. And I, and I can see why that would grate on you. But I think what I see is somebody who's going, I think that too but I can't help that this is what I want to create and this is all I have. This is literally, I've never seen a more honest um, presentation of this is all I have to offer you. Okay. Like even the ending when he like holds the microphone and just goes, I think I'm done. Like it feels like he's never satisfied with how he's making something or that he'd be so self-critical of himself. And you see that in his... Um, response uh, reaction video sketch that he does which to me is the best immediately thing that's the it's, I think- it's so good like immediately that read to me is like this is literally his inner psyche we are seeing his inner psyche like the stages he goes through where he writes a silly song that he likes and then he'll watch it and be like this is what i meant by that i'm still excited about it and then the next stage of him will say oh um being uh, i'm trying to act like the thing i'm uh writing is smarter than it is it's just a silly song and then he says oh, that's my initial reaction to something because I'm worried that that criticism is going to be leveled against me. So I level it against myself before anyone else can. And I relate so much, Mark. I relate so much <laughs> to that. That that process as well of like, and sometimes that process happens before you've made the thing. Yeah. So you you don't make it in the end. And what I see here is somebody who has made the thing and gone through that process and decided still... Sure, he's probably sold it for millions of dollars and he's doing pretty well off of it, like with the album as well. Sure. But he finished the thing. He he sort of did all all he could. Like, it feels like he's literally got his blood, sweat and tears in this. Um, And to respond as well to, like, the low-hanging fruit stuff about sexting and about uh, White Woman's Instagram, obviously a big theme in this as well is our relationship with our screens and with the internet very directly does he make a song called welcome to the internet where he does it from the point of view of the internet as a villain like almost like a disney villain but then there's the whole thing is like his relationship with the internet our generation's uh relationship with the internet like he point blank says to the audience don't come crawling back to me when you've developed a disassociative disorder mental disorder in your late 20s he's basically just saying i think this isn't great and he lets you in at the beginning with really relatable, playful, almost Lonely Island parody-esque songs. I'm going to FaceTime with my mom. That's a connection you should have in person. And he's doing it through a screen and he's just demonstrating how kind of strange that is. White Woman's Instagram, I think, is the first um, example of him criticising... Well, it's not actually the first example because there's a sock before that, I think, <laughs> which is amazing. But the white woman's Instagram, the, the the changing aspect ratio moment, I think a lot of people have been speaking about this online, so I'm not saying anything particularly new. But the whole thing obviously is done in a square to represent how Instagram photos initially looked. Obviously, now you can do many different aspect ratios. Fun fact, but <laughs> this one obviously is done for uh, in a square just to give you that impression. And there's a moment when he kind of humanizes the the woman that he's talking about and talks and, and it feels like he's found he's been doing research on instagram and making fun of all the cliches that he's seeing and then he comes across this one caption where a, a woman is talking about her mom that had passed away but the the um aspect ratio changes for a brief moment while she really is vulnerable she displays this moment where she's like i miss my mom i miss sitting in the back garden with you And then the aspect ratio immediately starts going back to a square as she then turns back and goes into, I'm 
you know, I've done so well. I've got a job and a boyfriend and an apartment. She starts bragging again about her life. And I think that there's just... That to me felt like what the whole kind of show is about is that there are these brief moments where people let their real thoughts or real selves through. But most of the time there is a real thought and performance to everything that everybody does. And that's made um, stronger now because of our relationship with our devices and with the internet. And obviously it's not all bad. And I think he knows that. Like it's afforded so many, like we wouldn't be able to continue this show without the internet. No, I know. He wouldn't have a career without the internet. So I think... But what I think he's doing is 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 talking about that a lot. And okay, so two things yeah. I'd say to that is <clears> that um, the thing about there's a moment in you know the, the the song about the internet in which he says you know do, actually do we think that that taking our children's brains and is, is actually not a good thing to have done? Again, yeah, I think we're all kind of on the same page with that. Um, I think that that the internet and social media has created a generation who had to deal with things that the people that, that created that technology didn't think about. I'm not saying, you know, uh, oh, you know, evil internet, because I don't believe that. But I do think that people who grew up, the first generations to grow up in the age of social media, were basically like kids being allowed to run across a five-lane highway and see which ones of them got to the other side. And I think that's been brutal, and I think that... Um, I think that it was, from a kind of social experiment point of view, I do think that a whole load of people suffered really badly because nobody had really thought it through. Or if they had thought it through, they would just, you know, let's wait and say, and I think that, that, that Bo Burnham actually brilliantly describes that in eighth grade, because I think that at the centre of eighth grade is somebody who's wedded to the idea that they have to present an online version of themselves, when actually what you know, what they're dealing with is, is internal. I think that eighth grade is the most, it's lovely. I love that film. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking incredible. and it's, and it's precise. And also it's not preachy. And um, I think, you know, I read an interview with Bo Burnham in which he was talking about the way in which people have talked about Gen Z, you know, kids in this kind of, you know, patronizing lost generation way. And he was saying, you, this, that's, that's, that's literally alien speak. That is not what's going on. You actually have to understand it from the inside. And I thought that one of the things about Eighth Grade was it was one of the very few films about that that didn't look to me like it was made by somebody like me. I mean, I would contrast it, for example, with Larry Clark's Kids, which I think is a massively stupid movie and is a perfect example of what... Um, I think it was the Village Voice critic described as a right-wing, rabble-rousing, tell-me-off-a-thon. You know, an old man making a film about all the things that young kids are getting up to, which was kind of like, you know, some sort of public information film. Parents, be scared. Your children are out there taking drugs, having sex, and giving each other AIDS. You know, that's what it felt like. (laughs) Whereas Eighth Grade feels like he's going, here's a reality where this just exists. Yes, and also it actually looked like he he understood what it... So again, I'm very cautious about saying that everything that I'm saying in the context of this, and this is why I'm trying to frame this. I mean, this is an interesting discussion about criticism, Jack. I'm trying to frame this within the context of I think that your response is more valid than mine. I think that your response is is um is actually more important to the piece than mine is. I think that part of my response is that I'm out of this loop somewhat. Do and- you know what? I think it's because not to it sorry no, I'll, I'll let you finish that thought, but I just want to say I think it's because I grew up and obviously I made YouTube yeah. stuff, but I grew up Literally, I watched it with my housemate when the second time I watched it, and he said that felt like a big YouTube project, and that's what I think it kind of 
is so when I hear you be like it feels like indulgent I'm like yeah we all are a bit indulgent (laughs) and hey you know I'm the most indulgent person I know I mean you know honestly my you know my prime subject of interest is me I think anyone who's ever you know I think everybody's the same though I think that's on some level but I think that's what's kind of amazing about this is that at the end of the show he's saying like you know you say the oceans are rising like I give a shit like and that song's called all eyes on me like I think he's he's basically confessing almost to say like all I care about is myself and yeah. I think this it's kind of commendable to sort of like be that honest it's yes but is it entertaining and hell yeah <laughs> okay fine and again this is why I come back to it I I do think this is important I think that to widen this out from the specifics of this particular special which you've seen many times I've seen once you loved didn't work for me um, within the context, which, of, which I will say, did uh, has disappointed me. No, I'm, I'm sure, sure, and I mean, you know, I, and I, I will watch it again. Um, but within the context of somebody who I actually think has done it has done great work, and may even have done great work that I just can't see right now. Within the greater context of criticism, this raises an interesting point, which is, you know, all viewpoints are subjective. Um, any for any criticism is subjective. And if you are not willing to ask yourself whether your own particular response to something, I don't mean you, Jack, I'm doing the mm-hmm. thing now, I'm talking to me. One. If one is not willing to ask oneself whether one's own response um, uh, is actually appropriate to judge that piece of art, then, then you're not doing the job. And I have always tried with you know film criticism to, to at least attempt to understand whether or not the film is playing to it, is, is doing what it needs to do. I've always said that the rules of film criticism are, you know, describe the film accurately, put the film in context, ask whether the film achieve, it succeeds on its own terms, whether, you know, no matter what it is, whether it achieves, and then beyond that, the sort of the greater question. But I think, oddly, the thing that I kind of became most vexed by watching Inside was the question of, well, this isn't working for me. And does that matter? And does it matter that I'm thinking, you know, you, 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 you are, you are falling it, not you, the, the, what Bo Burnham is doing, although the character of Bo Burnham is doing in that piece mm-hmm. is falling into the thing that I regard as least valid, which is navel gazing, because my tolerance for navel gazing is fairly small. And I did start, and that's why. Okay, so two things. What I ha- do you mean, navel gazing? I mean looking at your. You know, there's an old joke about there's um you know the guy sitting gazing at his navel, and he thinks um you know my head has all my thoughts, and my hands do all my actions, and my arms lift things up, and my my legs move me around, and and but my navel doesn't do anything. What is it there for? I mean, why is it there? And he gets more and more annoyed by it. And finally, he reaches this state of kind of zen. He just thinks, I'm just not having, I'm not having that useless thing in my body. And he ca- grabs a knife and he cuts it, cuts his belly button out. And he thinks, oh, I feel better for that. And he stands up and his legs fall off. You know, it's like stupid joke about, but it's the kind of the essence of, you know, navel gazing is, ga- you know, contemplating the existence of your navel, which is the mm-hmm. most pointless thing in the world. So I have two questions that I'm going to come back to. Firstly, do you think the crying is crying or acting? And tell me what you think and why you think it. <clears throat> hey. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I firstly, my feeling on this is I don't care. I, okay. It, to me, it doesn't matter if it's real or if it's not, because to me, the sentiment of it, whether it was prepared or not, the way that like any, because this is this is another thing I'll kind of link it to, yeah. the way that any film uses emotion. And I know that he's talking a lot in this about how people perform for you on camera. Yeah. And but you know, in life, everybody's doing a performance all the time, and I don't think it is. I think there are a few moments... What, you don't think it's real? I don't think it is a real moment. No. I don't think it really is happening like that in that moment. Okay, neither, I don't, but I don't know. Okay, I, neither do I. So what's it doing there? The same thing that any other film is doing, which is making its point. And I think that how he feels is true. But I think he's creating a moment that you will buy into the way that you're supposed to buy into any narrative in a film because as you mentioned the character of Bo Burnham which he sets up in the first moment of this film where he is singing his opening song where he says sorry that I've been gone Robert's been a little depressed but I made you some content yeah and which is I a, think which is a joke I, about content because the use of the word content is, yes. a, is a joke. And then he, when he says content, he looks up and the light thing. The glitter ball. Yeah. yeah that spins is, that lights around the room. Fun. Actually, thinking it's back so at it, that joke is funnier than I gave it credit for you. It's so great. And he's wearing a like a little headpiece the entire, like a little torch on his yeah. head the entire time. And you don't know what it is for that first, you know, opening seconds of the, of the film. But I think he's very specifically separating Robert from himself because I've never heard him refer to himself as Robert. And if we take some of his previous work when he's been the performer, um, he's done jokes and, and bits on stage where he's like knocked a water bottle over and been like, oh, sorry, that was a great way to start. Um, don't worry, we can edit that out. And then he plays a track that goes, he meant to knock the water over. Yeah, yeah, art is a lie. Nothing is real. And then he just carries on. And I think bringing that thought into this, I think it's the same idea, which is like, he, there are constant moments, like there's moments when he like pulls a wire to look at the monitor and pulls the camera with it. Yes. Now, to me, that feels like it absolutely could be 
um, a moment where he's setting something up and doing a test, and because I recognise that, yeah, like, we, I've yeah, done we that have before. all done that. Yes. I oh, it's, and it's and when you're setting things up on your own, and you know you then have to then you have to go from being essentially grip technician, director of photography, and then switch into performer. Oh, it's exhausting. So when you just can't get the shot the way you want it, and you're just tugging just to see if something's right, and then you bring the whole thing down, you know that is oh, just just the the moment of anxiety there was very real. But it might have been he might have set that whole thing up because that that shot that he's setting up never ret- never returns. We don't yep. ever see that again. Yep. So that could have been a bit that was cut out that he was going to do, or it might have been set up for that exact moment. Yeah. But I don't think it's I don't think it matters because I think he's making a feature film about a character called Bo Burnham who is making a show for you and at the same time he's showing you Robert or at least how it how to honestly portray Robert because another thing is he's always aware when the camera's on and so that relationship the way you are on camera versus the way you are when a camera isn't on changes i don't know if you've ever seen the show Nathan for you no it's hilarious and i think you should uh, at least watch an episode it is amazing and the conceit of it is that Nathan Fielder goes around making a reality show where he acts really weird and normal. Not, not, people wouldn't say it was normal, but he's acting like he's having a normal inter- normal interaction. But everybody he's talking to knows that there's a camera. Okay. So they're performing for the camera and act, trying to act like they're doing a show. So for example, there's a bachelorette type show that he goes on and he purposefully acts really weird on the dates, but all the girls that he's dating know that they're on a reality show about dating. So they're trying to play the role and they're trying to like, construct this reality that we all know is fake and he's revealing that and i think that's what bo burnham's doing as well okay well that sounds fascinating (laughs) 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 um okay uh, so again so my two sort of slightly snippy things would be um firstly you know brechtian alienation you know we're doing this but we're telling you we're doing this i mean my argument about that in theater was always you know that they break the fourth wall and they go yeah it's not real it's a show and i go i know it's a show i paid 15 quid and my ass hurts you know that's right, I, are you so you're not interested in brechtian sort of stuff no no i'm no, i mean i'm not not interested in it i mean it's, it's just that i'm 60 jack you know i'd like that you, explains your relationship with charlie kaufman no, it doesn't explain my relationship with Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, it's just a bit like, oh, it's not real. I go, yeah, I know. Um, anyway, uh, the second but he's making you question it though. Like you, you, you're going, is that crying real? And you've decided it isn't, but you, there's still a moment of doubt yes, as whether or not it but, is. Okay, but the thing is, so I bring on to my second point, which is that my good friend Tim Polcat, who was the lead singer of the Polcats, um, once said something which I consider to be the probably the most profound thing anyone has ever said about filmmaking. I don't think I've ever told you this story. I don't think I've ever told Please. anyone this story before, but it's... Kermit, a, Kermit, <clears throat> sorry, I'll retake that. A Kermode on film exclusive. Yeah, you meant to say Kermody. You meant to say Kermody. You meant to knock the bottle over. Um, <laughs> so now they'll have to leave it in, otherwise that won't make sense. Okay. So, oh, no. So Tim said this thing to me once. This was back in the 80s, right? It was in the in the, the early days of video cameras. And Tim had a, had a very fine way with words. And he was also somebody who, you know, he was somebody who believed that avant-garde was French for bullshit. And Tim said, Brilliant. you know, the truth is, if you stick anyone alone in a room with a video camera, give them enough time, they will film their own asshole." And I actually think that that is a very good rule of filmmaking, that if you put anyone alone in a room with a camera for long enough, they will end up filming their own asshole. And I think that applies 
it's to do with solipsism and it's got layers it, it's got layers <laughs> and the more i think about it the more i think that that you know people talk about all you need for a movie is a gun and they go forget all that nonsense i think tim was right it is to it is to do with you crawl you know you you just crawl up your own backside you he you, lit well, bo burnham literally does expose himself Yes, almost full frontal. I know, and that's it's, and again, that's the other thing. It's the kind of you know, here he is in his pants, and here he is in his. Th- and I uh, and uh, I've, I, there are other filmmakers who do a similar thing. You know, j- during the kind of the self revelation thing. I mean, there is one. There's a moment when he, you know, he imagines himself crucified, which is mm-hmm. kind of the point at which he's going. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing the thing which he's. I know he's doing it all the way through. But there is also the, you know, you've left somebody alone for long enough on their own with a camera, and they're pretty much fulfilling the Tim Polkat rule of cinema. Um, to move on from that to the question about about stage fright, the interest, the the, the reason I do find this fascinating is because. And again, I don't know whether I've, you know, well, I've told you. I, I, to be honest, I don't know. You can. I, I don't know if what Bo Burnham was having would be considered no, stage okay, fright. A panic attack on stage, okay, which is which is a kind of, you know, it's part. I, the reason I say this is this: many years ago, I had a panic attack on air, live on air, and I oh, fainted. Wow. Okay, it was on oh. Radio One. I was doing a show with Mark Radcliffe, and uh, I think. Martin, I can't. It was up in Manchester. A whole bunch of things were going on. Like too many things were going on. I was travelling backwards and forwards between Liverpool, Manchester, London. Blah blah blah. I was I was on air, and the only best way of describing this is, if you're riding a bike and you don't think about it, it's fine. But the minute somebody says to you, "How are you doing that?" you fall off. Okay, something happened, and I was in the middle of talking. I was literally talking about something, and I stopped breathing, and I couldn't breathe. I my throat. I could not breathe. And I fell off the chair and they went to a record and uh, Mark Riley rushed in and they assumed, as you would do, that I was having an asthma attack. I don't have asthma, but he gave me an inhaler and I did that and I, you know, inhaled with it. And I convinced myself that what it was was an asthma attack, despite the fact that I don't have asthma. So I suppose we're also going back a few years when mental health wasn't as much of a topic. Yeah, but also, you know, sometime later I kind of fessed up, and I wrote about this in a book, and sometime later I fessed up to the fact that what happened was I just suddenly had some kind of completely, and it really disorientated me. Firstly, because I was a broadcaster, and this is a long time ago. You know, how am I going to function if I can't do this? You know, how am I going to earn a living if I can't do this? And... um so there was a kind of long process, but I, you know, I, I got through it. I came out the other end of it and it was all fine. And, you know, now one of the things that's great about it now is people always say, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, the worst, if when the worst thing that can happen happens and you go, oh yeah, it was that, then it's fine. It doesn't scare you anymore. So this, it's interesting. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen happening is, is good. But mm-hmm. sometime later, Mark Lawson talked to me about it and he said he wanted to write a book about stage fright, the, the phenomenon of panic attacks in performance mode. Mm-hmm. And I, he said, would you talk to me? I said, yeah, because I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm quite open about it. I said, I've written about it anyway. And, um, but he never got the book written. And the reason he didn't was that nobody would talk to him about it. Because if oh, you are a performer, wow. talking about stage fright is an absolute no-no because it basically means you're unreliable. Even if you've overcome it, you know, it's some of these weird, really weird things. 
So that's an interesting interpretation of that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that, and I don't know if everybody would assume that now. No, I think that things have changed very much. I mean, this was a, you know, this was back then. But he said he wanted to write this book and he couldn't because people would tell him stories of, you know, that they, and then he'd say, "Can I write?" They said, "No, you can't use my name." And it's, it was just a peculiar thing. And actually, I thought that the most interesting thing for me, because in the end, as the pro thing, it's all about me, um, is the thing I kind of, I did find that. Like, okay, there's a door in there that I can... But for the, a lot of the rest of it, I found myself more disconnected. So look, to attempt to bring this to some kind of close, I do think that there's a lot of stuff going in, on in that special. And I think it might be that it is as brilliant as you think it is. I'm troubled that I didn't get that out of it. And so I, wa I want you to finish by mm -hmm. telling me what, what I'm getting wrong and how I could get into it. I, I genuinely don't know if I can because, like you said, everything is subjective. But the only thing I can tell you is that the first time I watched it, I also came away being like, yeah, good. Definitely want to watch it again, but, but good. And and also because it's relatively longer than uh, a lot of specials are. Yeah. An hour and a half. So when you get to the ending and the tone has changed so drastically, I think you kind of forget where you've started. Um but I think try and maybe watch it more like you're watching a film. Like he knows he's making a narrative piece. And for me, the whole thing to respond to that story about stage fright, it feels to me like an intentional reverse of that. Like he feels like he's exposing himself so much in the way that YouTube people did to begin with, which is how I got influenced to start making things was, oh, people like me can just make stuff. Like the reason why I was inspired to be a filmmaker, of course, was my love of cinema, but also it was because I saw a good friend of mine now called Dominic Ferrer, who's an American uh, friend of mine who is the same age, making movies just with his friends on the internet. And I saw him doing that and thought, I can do that. And the reason why I started editing or, and got an idea is because I saw someone doing uh, fan trailers and I thought, I could do that. And that's what I think Bo Burnham is doing now is if you struggle with this stuff... It doesn't mean you can't create this stuff. And my fav my, my interpretation of the ending as well, you know, how I've talked about, I think that room is real for Bo Burnham every single time he wants to make something. At the end of it, obviously, there's a tricksty... A, a tr I'm going to have to leave all the mistakes in you on are. this now. Otherwise. <laughs> this is a sort of trick. <laughs> he, uh, he does like a trick where he goes out and it really, you know, we reveal that he's been on stage the entire time. That spotlight is still haunting him. And then it cuts back again to him watching himself. And it feels like when he smiles, it's that to me feels like him going, that was all worth it because it made me feel that at the end. Like I got a smile out of it and I'm proud of it. And I, I will do that again. I will go back into that room and make something again, even though you can see how much it takes from me and the panic it induces in me and all the different emotions it sort of conjures up. But I will do it again because I'm addicted. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I think it, in this, I think he's just saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. Okay. I... 
that hasn't quite done the trick, but it was a good, it was a very good run at it. <laughs> will you, will you watch it again? Yeah, and if you feel differently, we'll talk about it. I again. will, and not least because you know I respect your opinion on it, and because there's a big part of me thinks that I'm just you know I'm missing something, which is maybe you watched it when you were in the wrong mood. Or something. Yeah, again, like, that's knows? again that is something which is always possible because as as we know. The, the mood and the place and the room that you are in or whatever can affect it. So I will watch it again. Um, it's been interesting. Have you spoken to Gabriel about it? Have you spoken he to He hasn't son? seen it yet. So in fact, funnily, okay. funnily enough, I did send him a message saying, have you seen it? He said, no, I'm saving it to watch it in the right circumstance. Yeah, a lot of my friends have done the exact same thing. Yeah, and I kind of, you know, I respect that because it's that's yeah, that's the way to do it. It's like, you know, I've got a new album by somebody. I'm not going to listen to it until I can, you know, until I'm absolutely in the in the right place to do it. However, I also think it's quite it's it's been a more interesting discussion as a result of this other than the two of us going, yeah, it was great, and I loved that bit, and I loved that bit. I agree, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know how you'd respond to it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think I think that as well. Like I'm I'm like so. Um, familiar with the songs now as well like he released the album or the songs as he's calling it which i think is another evidence to me that he's made a film because he's not said here's the album version he said here's the, here's songs, the songs from yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing yeah 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 jack a pleasure as always um uh lockdown is i suppose coming to an end at some point in the next few months i mean obviously we have the as we mentioned you're double vaxxed i am double vaxxed yeah i know i've got it's like superpower it's a thing although it's you know obviously i would say this to everybody you know this thing wearing masks is still important social distancing yep. is still important somebody sent me a message how's the uh how's the microsoft effects oh it's great How I, are they I get wi-fi wherever i go now it's absolutely brilliant i'm like i'm constant gps and uh, uh yeah and uh, what's his name who's the person who's controlling me who is it? Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Stop Gates. Stop pretending that you've forgotten. It's like a really bad giveaway that you know exactly who you're talking about because you've been injected with his little chip or serum or whatever he's that's putting That's right, in. yeah. But it's, you know, that's that's really what... You just rem- is, is that what it's done? It's made you forget Bill Gates' name, but he's controlling everything you've ever that's done. That's right, yeah. He's just, he's, he's controlling all my thoughts, but I can't remember him. But I would say, um, somebody sent me, I, I put out, I put a picture up um, on Twitter of me and Linda after we'd had our, you know, vaccination, second mm-hmm. vaccination. And we were wearing masks because we'd gone to the vaccine to have it done. And and I said, you know, love is getting your second vaccination together. And somebody responded, said, yeah, but you're still wearing mask, aren't you, sheep? To which my answer would be, go wow. fuck yourself, dick face. <laughs> so anyway. It's not a mask, it's a muzzle. Exa- yeah, it's a muzzle, you sheep. I'm not going to have mine done because I want the right to get, yeah. So <sighs> I just, Why do you think you're smarter than smarter people than you? Because, I don't understand. Because some people are assholes. Yeah, that, well, there we go. And there we go. And on that bombshell, thanks, Jack. <laughs> um, if you are an anti-vaxxer or an anti-masker, please stop subscribing. There are many other QAnon podcasts out there that you'd enjoy a lot more. And frankly, we don't want you. For the rest of you, stay safe, stay well. Thanks for listening. See you all soon. Keep watching and the keep skies. Keep watching the skies. <laughs> I wanted to do it at the same time, and we did because this was all rehearsed. Art is a lie. <laughs> Nothing is real. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 